with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ, The Planet, every Monday and Thursday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also listen to this show on our Podomatic page. Just put in Camp Constitution, and we upload these things on a regular basis. And you can also see us on YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel. Please subscribe. This show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And this year's camp will be running from July 18th to the 23rd at the Singing Hills Christian Camp in Plainfield, Massachusetts. Sorry, Plainfield, New Hampshire. There is a Plainfield, Massachusetts. We also have a ladies' retreat scheduled for middle of April. And to learn more about these and uh, other activities, please visit us on our website, campconstitution.net. Um, I've got a couple of uh, very special people. One of them, of course, is more of a co-host, uh, my brother from another mother, Reverend Stevie Kraft. How are you doing, Rev? Hey, what's up? what's up? I'm here, ready to roll with you guys. Uh, and you got your voice back, at least partially. And yeah, then I have, I'm, I'm, and, I'm on the men. I'm on the men. And I have uh, the, the co-founder of Every Black Life Matters, Kevin McGarry. Thank you, Kevin, for calling and uh, for coming on 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 just a 24-hour notice. Kevin, can you hear me? Hey, Kevin, can you hear us now? Hey, Reverend Kraft, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, Kevin, how about you? Are you on? I guess he, call, I, uh, he called in, but for some reason, I'm not able to get the uh, his audio. Let me see if I can work this out here. All right, maybe. Kevin, are you there? Here we go, Kevin. I see him. I see him on the on the video, but I, there's no audio. Hey, 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 Kevin, you there? I'm here. Okay, great. All Can right, you guys see me uh, and hear me? Anyway, yeah. So Reverend Steve is with us, and um, sorry that for listeners uh, sometimes talk show is a little trouble. So Kevin, uh, you're the founder or co-founder of Every Black Life Matters. That's correct. All right. Uh, well, tell us, tell us about the organization and why you founded it. Yeah, yeah. Excellent question. So uh, everybody saw what happened to George Floyd last summer. We felt the sentiment that black lives really do matter. We felt that, uh, you know, there should be a, a righteous standard uh, for how we deal with, uh, with people in the black community. Um, but after we took a look at BLM as an organization, we began to see that there is a real disconnect between um, what that organization stands for and black life. And uh, so for myself and my co-founder, Neil Mammon, we realized that, look, um, there is a real need for an organization to really stand for black life, but we need an organization that's righteous, that's all really all about justice, 
that's really all about helping black life from conception to the grave in every phase of black life. It is not just about police brutality. It is about black life in general uh, across the spectrum. And so we wanted to be that conduit. What we decided to do is start every Black Life Matters as a way to sort of keep the focus on principally on Black life and on all the phases of Black life and also to keep the focus on and, and really kind of put, um, you know, a, a little wedge, if you will, between ourselves and BLM. We think that BLM is, doesn't really stand for Black life. And the way for us to really kind of do a counterattack is when we're asked, do Black Lives Matter, we get the upper hand by saying, look, to me, every single Black life matters. And then we get to ask them a question, does every single Black life matter to you? And then watch them squirm. For the first time, we have the upper hand with leftists and progressives, and we can kind of put them on the defensive with a righteous standard, which is every Black life matters. I know that uh, uh, we crafted a letter, Reverend Kraft sent a letter out to the people of, to the, an open letter to the people of Lexington, Massachusetts. Lexington is a relatively wealthy town. It has a populate a black population of 1.2, and when he and Edith moved in in May, it became 1.4%. Uh, but you see a lot of Black Life uh, Black Matter signs on people's uh, lawns, on their uh, 5,000 square feet uh, homes with two or three uh, places to park vehicles. Uh, when I'm driving in the black communities, or predominantly black communities of Boston, Roxbury, uh, Dorchester, I don't. I think I've seen one. And it's just a very strange phenomenon where you see all of these uh, white upper middle class uh, people with their Black Lives Matter signs. And when you make an effort to point out to them that maybe this organization doesn't truly represent most black people, they get a little angry with you. Well, that's the old, uh, you know, guilt uh, complex that a lot of these people carry. They've uh, they've become wealthy or, you know, mostly wealthy. Uh, they are certainly compared to your inner city urban black community, they're wealthy. And uh, they feel, you know, a little guilt and they're trying to assuage their guilt by kowtowing to the leftist progressive cultural movement, that being Black Lives Matter, critical race theory and all the other accoutrements of that. And uh, the, the, the reality though, is if they really cared about black life, they would stand with us and they would stand completely against the black genocide that's happening in the black community. Uh, you start talking that way to them, however, and they uh, they get a little flummoxed. They're not quite sure how to how to address that, uh, but it's a it's a fact. Um, it is a fact that systemic racism does still happen today. And one of the primary organizations that says that they uh, that they do it is Planned Parenthood. I mean, this came out last July and said, yeah, um, our, our, our founder did say that she wanted to fully exterminate the Negro population. Uh, yeah, we, we have dis discriminately placed or indiscriminately placed um, our, our abortion mills in black, brown, urban communities with the intent that they would take advantage of our abortion services much more profoundly than uh, any other races would. And so, yeah, we are systemically racist. These same people uh, who live in the suburbs, who would purport to be uh, 
you know, enlightened. Uh, they continue to fully support Planned Parenthood as they exterminate blacks in, in various communities across the United States. And it's, it's atrocious. It's disgusting. I, I'm very glad to see your organization take a strong stance against uh, Planned Parenthood. I think there's an organization, I don't think there is, called Planned Parenthood. You may be aware of that. But um, back last year, it was, uh, oh, last year, I think it was in February, I took a trip to the Harvard Medical School Library where I got the papers of Dr. Clarence Gamble, and I actually held uh, that infamous letter uh, from Margaret Sanger to Clarence, uh, Dr. Clarence Gamble, who yep. was a special, he was the head of the Eugenics Society, where she talked about um, exterminating the, the term Negro, which was commonly accepted in those days. And right. I thought this was fascinating. But she also had a, a Puerto Rican project uh, where they were using uh, abo uh, abortion, the pill. It was being pioneered, I guess, in their 40s and early 50s. And Margaret Sanger wrote a letter, and it was a longtime correspondence with Clarence Gamble. And he lived in Milton, Massachusetts, not right next to Boston. And mm. she lamented that they weren't having much of an impact because she could still hear the, hear the shrill sounds of children on the c country's playgrounds. I said, what a wicked woman. You know, and I think yeah. um, the Democrat Party is totally joined at the hip with Planned Parenthood. And unfortunately, practically every black member of the U.S. Congress, I don't know of any, I mean, Democrats. Republicans, yes, are very much opposed, but every single black Democrat to my knowledge, especially in Boston, you've got Ayanna Presley. She's a big supporter of Planned Parenthood. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's amazing that we American people who are, most of us are thoughtful, prudential, we're knowledgeable, we're intellectual here in the United States, by and large, I'm making a gross generalization. But the reality is, is we get these, we let these people spout off about systemic racism and racism and all of this. And for some reason, we never call them on the fact that they are fully supporting and endorsing an organization that the organization by its own admission admitted that they're systemically racist, they're a racist organization and they have racist roots. How how do we how do we, how do we allow these people to get, along, get away with this? I was telling all the people that I knew who were running for office, you know, congressional offices and other offices, last year that look, this is your perfect opportunity. Instead of always cowering and being on the defensive, this is your perfect opportunity to to bring up Planned Parenthood and your opponent's support for Planned Parenthood, and put them onto the the, uh, the defensive for their support for such a, a radically systemic uh, racist organization. And, uh, you know, there's so people on our side, on the, con you know, conservative or more conservative side are feckless and they're spineless. They didn't even want to bring it up. So I, it's, it's amazing that we're living through the times we're living in where everybody's, you know, clamoring and crying out from the highest rooftop about racism and nobody brings up Planned Parenthood. You know, what What happened to us? This is outrageous. Well, I know that we've been doing it at Camp Constitution. In fact, uh, Reverend Steve and I did a video across the street from Clarence Gamble's home. I'm sure he's long dead. The family doesn't live uh, own the house anymore, but we just wanted to have an effect. And we read the letter. Reverend Steve read the letter, and it's something that we continue to do. What type of response are you getting throughout the uh, the country 
since you launched the organization? You know, quite honestly, we're, we're getting a very favorable response. A lot of people really did want an alternative to Black Lives Matter. They really do want a faith-based, a biblically-based organization that they can follow that is sincere about helping to take it, take, you know, helping to mitigate black plight. Um, people are really, really concerned about the plight, not only in the womb, but there's the plight of early childhood development and, and the plight of, of not having, uh, you know, equal access to the educational platforms. School choice is, is a big deal for the black community. It, it always pulls at 80, 90% of, of people in the black community would like a choice for the types of education that their kids, you know, uh, should, can, can or should go to. Um, a lot of uh, people across the country are quite concerned with the reckless violence, the um, uh, violence in, in, you know, Chicago and Detroit, Memphis and New York and, and all of those cities that, that has a tendency to, uh, you know, spray bullets. And then at the end of the day, we have these toddlers and little babies that are being, uh, that are being killed uh, due to stray bullets. So, um, you know, a lot of people really do want to do something about it. A lot of them heretofore had really hadn't, you know, didn't have a way to plug into that and, and help in any regard. And that's why we're here. We're really about it. We're really about standing up for Planned Parenthood, really about standing up and helping uh, parents to get a school choice in their various communities. We're really about standing next to those families who have their children slaughtered at, at a very young age via stray bullets and provide them educate, or excuse me, emotional and, and, and uh, psychological support. Um, so, you know, we need to take care of those things and we're here to do it. I notice uh, that the Black Lives Matter organization, when people go to their website, uh, a few months ago, they took down their uh, reference to uh, wanting to destroy the Western concept of family and replace it with a Marxist, whatever, a Marxist concept. I don't think that resonated too well uh, with most people, even liberal people reading that, and they'll say, hmm. And so they, they scrubbed it, although I know it's uh, some people that screenshotted it, so we know that it isn't like they changed their position on that subject. They just thought, not good PR. Uh, right. Maybe you can answer this question. Why, what is up with corporate America? Not all, but most of the large corporations, they seem to be bending over backwards to support groups like BLM. Uh, they don't, and not only that, I mean, contribute millions of dollars. Uh, yep. Instead of just providing more jobs, and to me, <coughs> a company, the greatest, does, the greatest way to, you know, the civil right is to get a good job and have a career. That to me is better than angry demonstrations. But why do you think corporate America uh, is funding groups like Black Lives Matter to the extent that they are? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, they're, they're getting the old shakedown. You know, either you come in with the cancel crowd, cancel culture, and, and come alongside of culture and help us drive this narrative, or we're going to you know, we're going to boycott in some way, you know, your, your large corporation. That's number one. Number two, the people at the top of those corporations are not, you know, while they may be wise and intellectual in, in, in relation to business, um, they're not very wise and very thoughtful and prudential as it relates to uh, logic and reason as it, you know, especially as it relates to culture. And they're not really sensitive to what's happening within the black community. If they can just throw some money at it, 
and have any potential boycotts go away, they'll do that. But they are, to some degree, guilted. Um, you know, a lot of people that have a lot of money uh, do feel in some way, um, you know, that there there is some potential responsibility that they or their ancestors had to do with the, the current plight in the black community. And they're, they're, you know, somewhat, you know, reasoned that, you know, we, sh we should be able to do something. But as opposed to putting money into school programs, as you were indicating, or mentorship programs or, or uh, entrepreneurship within, uh, within the black community, they're just throwing money at BLM to the extent that BLM now has amassed over $10 billion in, in uh, donations. Uh, that, that's not, it's not all in. I mean, it's, it's $10, $10 billion, I think, over the next five to 10 years. But still, that's, that's a you know, billion-dollar-a-year clip. Most nonprofits in the United States are nowhere near that. Um, so BLM is the gorilla in the space right now. Uh, they've captured the imagination of culture and society. They really have had a lot of culture and a lot of corporations come alongside of them because of the various uh, athletes and the various personalities that a lot of these corporations have as part of their uh, commercial enterprise. You know, the commercials that they run on TV is what I'm saying, or, or a part of their commercial enterprises, the NFL and the NBA. But, um, and, and so they realize that they, you know, the shakedown, you know, they're, they're, they're fully caving to it because they think that in the end, it's, it's much more reasonable to just throw money at it and do it that way. They really come up with thoughtful programs that can make a difference in these communities. And so Mark, in my opinion, they're being cowards and they're taking the easy way out, but that's, that's my opinion. You know, Coca-Cola came up with this crazy uh, policy of some kind of employee training to, for the white employees to be less white. And I went to their national website and I looked at all their leadership. I guess the top 20 uh, CEO, CEOs and Englishmen, uh, I only saw, I think I saw one or two Asian faces because obviously they have bottling plants all over the world. But I didn't, it took me a while to find uh, any blacks. I like thought, gee, why don't you just hire a few blacks? You know, that might, <laughs> instead of trying to uh, do some kind of mental disruption with your white employees, which I think is so ridiculous. I mean, that to me is racist to be less white. Uh, Reverend Kraft and I did a video. Rev, uh, what are your comments on, on that? Well, you know, Hallie, and I've shared this with Brother Kevin, this whole thing is a spiritual battle, and it's been fueled by witchcraft. The mm -hmm. people who started this Black Lives Matter nonsense are witches and warlocks who literally conjure down spirits, and they tell you that, in order to bring the people into, as the Apostle Paul said, a spirit of bewitchment, which is witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why you see corporations capitulating. That's why you see schools capitulating. That's why you see individual people, because it's a spirit. It's a spirit, and you cannot overcome a spirit with politics or with economics or with any such thing. You have to fight spirit with the Holy Spirit. So that's the root of the problem. When you and I did that video here at the Lane House uh, on Coca-Cola, you had set up the, the, the props, and as we were doing the, the video about uh, the white people that worked there, if they wanted to 
retain their positions. They had to deny what God created them to be, their whiteness, which has become a systemic term now. Uh, God dropped in my spirit. You remember this, Hallie, that I says, okay, Coca-Cola. The Lord dropped in my spirit. We remember back in the day that Coca-Cola had cocaine in it. And I said mm -hmm. to Hallie in the interview, perhaps uh, uh, Brother Kevin can pull that video up. I said, when God dropped that in my spirit, I says, whoa. I says, cocaine was in the original ingredient in Coca-Cola. I said, and cocaine, powder cocaine is white. I said, so maybe we need to start a movement against opioids. Well, not opioids. Of uh, Cocaine's not an opioid. It's an upper. But maybe we need to, to cancel out the spirit of whiteness in the white powder called cocaine. And let's see how that flies. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, we have to use re re uh, ridicule against this wickedness, but at this understand the same time, that this ridicule is 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 based on a on witchcraft that keeps the people number one blind, number two bound, and when you're mm -hmm. blind spiritually and bound spiritually, there's no way you can free yourself except the spirit of the living God sets you free. I had told Kevin. Kevin had called me the other day and said, Rev, you know, I want you and Sister Eve to come to uh, to uh, Tampa next month. And, and be on the panel. And then when he told me that the dates were the same dates that we had Coach coming here, I says, man. Right. Didn't work. I, yeah, I said, I can't. I, I said, I'm, I got to take a, a rate check on that one. I said, but sign us up for the next one whenever you have the next one because he has an excellent program uh, called Remnant Rising. And one part of it deals with uh, waking up the church, dealing with the spiritual issues of this mess, and then the other one is waking up corporate America. And he's taking him and Neil are taking this message across the country. Matter of fact, how you know it. When uh, we both found out about uh, the, uh, Kevin and Neil's organization, I put this sign up for the people to see. And soon yes. as Kevin, yeah, as soon as I get those T-shirts, man, uh, from you, mm -hmm. Kev, I'm going to start to really promote that thing even more on the East Coast. You guys are out there on the West Coast. Hallie and I are going to really begin to, to really promote that thing on the East Coast because Satan does not have any reason or logic behind what he's doing, and Satan always overplays his hand. But the mm -hmm. problem, there's a spirit of fear that is, the, the Bible says, perfect love or mature love cast out fear because fear has torment. So Satan is using spiritual oh, oh, wickedness in high places, naming the spirit of fear, which causes us not to have a sound mind because it's not uh, uh, developed in love. So we are going to really uh, take what, what, what my brother and Neil are doing out there in California, and me and Hal are planning on really moving that thing forward uh, on the East Coast. Awesome, yes, actually, awesome. I love the sign. I know you have yard signs uh, on your website for sale. We're going to be getting some. And uh, yeah, I think people are going to be kind of the liberal people. I'm talking about the well-intentioned. I'm not talking about the angry leftist mob that would, you know, they don't, you can't compromise with someone like that. But the liberal mm -hmm. walking by, and I, how can they object to a sign that says every black life matters? Gentlemen, I wanted to ask you, this is something that's been troubling me. I've, you know, I've been 
aware of things for many, many years uh, since my uh, my days growing up in the height of forced busing. But it seems to be like the media and certain people in politics, it's almost like they're pushing for a race war or definitely a civil war. And just uh, was yesterday that Joe Biden flies down to Atlanta with his vice president, Kamala Harris, and uh, he's talking about racism against Asians when the man who did the shooting was a crazy individual that had nothing to do with racism. He shot, what, eight people, killed eight people, six of them were Asians, but he was going to these massage parlors, and he said it was, you know, he just was insane. But they're still playing the race card. It's always playing the race card, even if, yeah. if racism wasn't the motivation. And uh, so is that my imagination, or is it like they're really fueling the fires? Yeah, they're really fueling the fires because this is, uh, remember, this is the old Marxist playbook. Back uh, with Marx and Engels, they, they made distinctions between uh, proletariat and bourgeoisie and the serf uh, class. And um, essentially, um, we know that bringing out those distinctions in today's world with everybody with very limited intelligence and, and in attention spans would be difficult. So we've just changed the nomenclature to oppressor and oppressed. And uh, the, the best way to divide people now is, is between the oppressor and the oppressed. Of course, the oppressor is always going to be people that, that have a little less melanin than, than, than me or, or Rev would have. But, um, but um, essentially, they are just trying to continue to drive the wedge of division via race uh, underneath. Uh, you know, think about a Trojan horse, right? A Trojan horse is, is wheeled into the room. And out of the Trojan horse comes all of these 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 accoutrements and a part part and parcel of what it was. The Trojan horse right now is race or racism, and underneath what comes out of that is CRT, uh, you know, critical race theory, uh, black liberation or liberation theology, social justice, and um, what we're seeing is the fomenting of a division. So they can get everybody wrapped around the axle and, and, and excited about, uh, about how they're being victimized by the oppressor via race. And uh, they really think this playbook has, you know, can work. It's worked well in the black community to my chagrin, but um, I don't know if that really translates well to other communities. But it works well in the black communities because, you know, what our, our history was all about um and where we came from and um you know in some ways we're just so busy with other things we're not we don't think too deeply sometimes about what what the what they're really trying to to do and what their real what their intentions are so we kind of go along with it but when you're trying to now get the asians and and all of the various asian communities including koreans and china chinese and japanese wound up around this i don't know if it'll work but they are relentless with this. This is the playbook. This they must do this. This is what Marxists do. It's it's they they have to divide like this. This is this is how they maintain. It's, their, power. it's just their nature, like the scorpion, the story of the scorpion that and the fox said that fox said oh some other the otter and the and the scorpion said can you bring me across the river? He said well you'll bite me. He says no I won't bite you. I'll drown. And sure enough they. He bit them halfway through, and they both died. And before they got the last breath of, you know, the otter said, "What'd you do that?" He said, "I'm a scorpion. I can't help myself." But 
What type of uh, activities is your organization involved uh, involved, and how could people learn more about you and uh, get some of the great products you have available? Well, the first thing I would encourage everybody to do is just go to our website. It's everyblm.com, everyblm.com. Uh, we have a vibrant store with all kinds of nice things that you can get, including, uh, you know, as you, as you said, uh, the, uh, uh, the placards and the uh, uh, yard signs and et cetera. Uh, lots of shirts and mugs and all that too. But the other thing that we're doing uh, that you can get from there are lots of shareable content. So we have, you know, interviews, podcasts, uh, blog posts, all kinds of things that can be shared to other platforms. Number two, uh, if you have a church or a community that's that's really being inundated with critical race theory uh, in, in many different forms, you can go there and you can ask us to come to your community or to come to your church and actually perform uh, what we call a deconstruction. We, we call it remnant rising, which is um, a, work, a full day workshop that will be fully deconstruct critical race theory, fully deconstruct liberation theology, and fully deconstruct the social justice versus biblical justice. And then we uh, come up with, with, with solutions, real solutions that the community then can embrace or the church can embrace as they go forward. So uh, all kinds of great things out there. Please uh, invite us in. We are in the West Coast, but we fly throughout the United States. And until we get, uh, you know, folks like yourselves uh, trained on our, our primary talking points and on our platform, uh, we're, we're going out and we're doing this work wherever we need to. Um, we need to make a stand right now. The church is at a very, very critical point. Um, it's being completely divided uh, via the guilt and accusations and all of these things that are happening via CRT. CRT is being taught in our major seminaries across the United States. So we have people graduating with MDiv degrees that are going into the pulpits and and actually using uh, CRT and liberation theology and black liberation theology, uh, completely twisting the gospel message. So um, we're running out of time. Uh, I want to thank you again so much. I know we could, this interview could last for another hour. Uh, just a website again, really quick. Everyblm.com, www.everyblm.com. All right, thank you. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. You've been listening to the Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff, on WBCQ The Planet. And until next week, may God richly bless you. Thank you.